Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to look at four things that Americans want. And this is based on my study of the Declaration of Independence. And these four items were expressly mentioned as desires of our founding fathers and the 13 original colonies. Today you'll find that these four things continue to be at the core, I think, of every American's heart and desire. And those four things or these four things are equality, rights, safety of all things, and freedom. And um, so I would like you to listen and consider whether or not you think our country is headed in the right direction to acquire these four valuable things that we so so desperately need and want. In on July 4th of 1776, it's debatable uh, that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Some people think it was uh, a month later, but we celebrate July 4th as Independence Day because of that document. And the last paragraph of that document illustrates the understanding that they were declaring independence from Great Britain and dependence on God. You see, whenever you go, you go independent, you let go of something and you take hold of something or someone else. Look at these statements from the Declaration of Independence, all right? And um, I believe I've got it. you can throw them up here on the screen. Look at this. Representatives from the United States of America appealing to the supreme judge of the world. There it is. Black and white. And if that's not enough, just a few sentences later, it says, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. Our forefathers... We're saying, we're declaring independence. We are sick and tired. And I'm going to tell you what they were sick and tired of. We are sick and tired of where we're at. And we are going independent, but with dependence on God. Why was this decision made? And it fueled, it came with a price. It was fueled, it fueled another eight years, actually seven years of revolution of up to 70,000 lives were lost, American lives, not to count the British lives and the Spanish lives and the French lives. This actually was a world war. I don't know if, if you know that, but it brought in these other powers into the United States. A lot of lives were lost because of this revolution. And why was this so important to, the, to, the, to these American colonists? Well, at the top of the list, believe it or not, was unreasonable taxes. <laughs> and if you go to certain states in our union, you would find unreasonable taxes, ridiculous taxes. We don't want our money taken away from us, right? It's a, it's a government by the people, for the people, not a government to oppress the people. But there was unreasonable taxes, there was a lack of political representation. And in fact, the colonists had less rights or fewer rights than the British citizens. Isn't that crazy? You know what that's called nowadays? That's called discrimination. It's 
Oh, your rights are more important than my rights. They felt discriminated against. The English government and the crown would not approve American laws for the good of the colonists. They were at the mercy of the British rule. British soldiers opened fire on a group of colonists called the, the, the Boston Massacre. The Americans, so-called at that time, had had it up to here. They were sick and tired of the oppressive nature of the rule at that time. They had no trial by jury. And furthermore, these British troops that occupied the 13 colonies could come into their homes and sleep and eat by force. How would you like a couple of American and not American GIs, uh, foreign military folks knocking on your door or breaking down your door and saying, I'm sleeping here tonight, feed me. How would you feel? There would be a sense of revolution in your mind and your thoughts as well if that was happening. You wouldn't put up with it. In fact, the Declaration of Independence describes this lengthy list, and I only gave a few things here, describe this, this lengthy list as a list of oppressions. A list of oppressions. Is there a list of oppressions in your life that you'd like to kind of mark off the list and say, I'm sick of this oppression. I'm sick of that oppression. A list of oppressions. And this is what they referred to this whole environment, this British environment. They called it tyranny in the Declaration of Independence. They called it despotism or dictatorship. They called it evil, and they called it or referred to it as abuses. How do you like to be abused? Have you ever been abused by somebody mentally, physically, in other areas? It's no fun to be abused. That's how these colonists felt, and that's why they drafted and executed the Declaration of Independence. But there's four things, four words that described what these colonists were looking for when they sought independence from British rule. Four things. Check it out and see if they don't resonate with you today. Here they are. The first one was equality. Clear as day, they wanted equality. They were tired of being a lesser human being. And we should feel the same way as well. I'm tired of being a lesser human being. I should have equality. Here's the second thing that they were looking for, rights. They were looking for rights, specifically the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursuit of happiness. That's what they wanted. Isn't that what we want today? Isn't it the same thing that we're desirous and seeking for today? Here's the third thing that they expressly were looking for. They were looking for safety. They were tired of facing danger day in and day out, not having a home that could be a refuge for them, not having a city that was safe for them. They were tired of danger. They wanted safety, and they expressly mentioned it in the Declaration of Independence. The fourth thing that they were looking for was freedom. Freedom. And these, this Continental Congress that, that agreed to this Declaration of Independence at the end of the document stated this. They pledged three things. They pledged their life, they pledged their fortunes, and they pledged their honor to get this done. 
Wouldn't you feel a little bit more comfortable if you knew your local state representative, your, your local congressman, your local senator was willing to pledge their life, <laughs> to pledge their fortune, and to pledge their honor to support this independence and to support our Constitution? Wouldn't you feel a little bit more comfortable if you knew the executive branch, the president, would do anything to protect this country? Wouldn't you feel a little bit more comfortable if you knew that judges in this country were absolutely adamant enough to pledge their life, their fortunes, and their honor to support the laws of this country? I tell you what, our country would be a different place if we knew that our leaders had this kind of commitment to our country. So four things that these charter Americans expressly wanted, we're going to go over each of these, equality, rights, safety, and freedom. Bear with me, it's going to be a windy road today. Freedom, or excuse me, equality is the first one. You know, there's nothing that makes me more angry and boils me than racism and discrimination. Why on earth would somebody, the color of somebody's skin or their cultural background make me feel superior to them? <laughs> I don't get it. I really don't. I grew up in Spain, and so there wasn't a lot of, there, there wasn't truly a lot of cultural diversity there at that time. There is now. And I came back to the United States, namely Dallas. <laughs> and here you see Dallas, there's the, uh, you know, there's the, um, the Asian section, and then even that's broken down into places, and and then the uh, I won't tell you what each each group called each group. There's all these adjectives that they would use. It's like, what is wrong with these people? I don't even understand this, and to this day, I don't understand racism. I just I don't get it. Why would there be racism? And it irritates me in the workplace whenever I see discrimination. It just frustrates me and makes me angry. Now, I'll tell you a story. I experienced, and my family experienced, a little bit of discrimination once, and I'll never forget it. And it was just a taste, is all it was. We were in College Station, and my son was playing basketball, and uh, they were playing, this is a Christian league, mind you. <laughs> And my son was on a Christian homeschool basketball team. So you'd expect, you know, salt of the earth, you know, mother, mother and pie and all of motherhood and pie and all that kind of good stuff. Well, a fight broke out more our fault than their fault. The play, mostly the parents were fighting, literally going to blows. And um, so obviously we, we had to exit the building. Well, the pastor and the person who was putting on that whole basketball thing came out and told us we were no longer welcomed in that complex and that we needed to leave immediately. And it was their team that had been just as much as fault as ours. I felt so yucky. I wanted to get out of College Station and never go back again. I felt rejected. I felt demeaned. I felt just horrible. And I thought, you know, the folks that deal with this on a day-in and day-out basis, that's the worst feeling you could ever feel. I hate discrimination, and I hate racism. But I also hate what this country is doing by promoting the divide amongst racism, races in this country. 
that just aggravates me to point at every little thing that goes wrong and say, oh, it's racism. Because no, it's not racism. No, it's not. Sometimes it possibly could be. But no, it isn't. So stop trying to divide this country and make it a miserable place to live in. There's not just racism or discrimination. There's, there's the aspect, that, the much broad, broadcast aspect of sexual preference now that's pointed to as a point of discrimination. Well, I'll tell you, in the time that I've worked, almost 30 years in the workplace, I've gladly promoted talented gay employees. Gladly. I'm not going to discriminate against someone because their sexual preference is different from mine or because my Christian beliefs are different from their worldview. I'm not going to discriminate against them. That's completely wrong. And I refuse to do it. Jesus, in fact, treated everyone equally in certain respects. He embraced the sinful and he rebuked the elite and the religious of his time. Meaning he brought one down and he brought the other up onto equal footing. Aren't you glad that Jesus does that to this day? In fact, there's a, there's a story of a true event that happened during Jesus' time in John 8. I'm not going to throw up every single scripture here. But there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. <laughs> in the act. You talk about embarrassing. And it was a sting operation. There's no doubt in my mind that the religious leaders had, had set things up. It's interesting. They didn't drag the man out. They just drug the woman out. Takes two to tango, right? But they drug the woman out, and they brought her to Jesus. I'm sure she was uh, not, not clothed very well. <laughs> Probably extremely embarrassing to her. And they said, you know what? The law of Moses tells us that we're to stone this lady. It's capital punishment. We need to kill her. And when I was a little kid, I'd hear about stonings, and I thought they took little pebbles and dinked them, you know. I thought, well, how can people die from just a little pebble hitting you? But they took big old rocks. It was a gruesome capital punishment, and they would stone the person. They were saying this lady deserves to die. And so Jesus says there in John, I think we're... Chapter 8, verse 7, they kept questioning him. He straightens up, Jesus does, and he says, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw the first stone at her. He stooped down, and he was writing on the ground. Now, to this day, we'll never know what he was writing. But the Bible tells us that from the oldest to the youngest, one at a time, they started walking away. These accusers started walking away. And I want to just mention in your life, if you'll serve God, your accusers that lie in your mind, they'll start walking away one at a time, one at a time. You can be free. But they started walking away. And after they were all gone, Jesus straightens back up. He looks at the woman. And he says, where are they? Where are your accusers? Where is, is there no one to condemn you now? And she says, no one, sir. <laughs> then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Can I ask you, where is your condemnation coming from? It's not coming from Jesus. It's not coming from God. 
He's not condemning. Where is your condemnation coming from? Because it's not coming from him. And I'll tell you this. If it doesn't come from God, I don't want it. But he says, neither do I condemn you. In other words, neither do I discriminate against you, even though you've done something that you've been caught doing. I'm not going to discriminate against you. That's what the Son of God told this lady. Then Jesus declares, though, it doesn't stop there, go now and leave your life of sin. Go, go now. Leave now. Get out of Dodge now. Stop sinning now. One person, he said, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Something worse is going to happen to you. So while we're alive, you and me, if we're lucky, 80, 90 years, maybe not so lucky. But while we're alive, we are all equal in God's eyes in these regards and that he loves us and that he's not condemning us. All of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, from God's perspective, he loves you, and he's not condemning you. We're equal in that regard. God, whose son is Jesus Christ, is an equal opportunity God. <laughs> he hasn't set up any obstacles for you to not be able to reach him. You can get to God because God treats everybody equal in this regard. But listen to this. Jesus treated everyone as equal. He embraced the sinful. He rebuked the elite and the righteous. But he didn't treat sinful acts the same way that he treats righteousness. That's where God's treatment begins to change is your sin is treated differently from your righteousness or the righteousness that you get from God. So look at this in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, and read it carefully with me so that there's no confusion in your mind. Because let me tell you what, young people, what you hear at school is going to be very different from what you hear in this church. Very different. Why? Because all we're doing is telling you what the Bible tells you, what God's word tells you. But here it goes. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't go to heaven, which means they will go to hell. <laughs> Just to be abundantly clear, do not be deceived. I'm talking to you right now. Don't be lied to. Don't buy into a lie here. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers. What's an adulterer? It's somebody who cheats on their spouse. Nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, period. That's what the word of God says. I, I'm not telling you, I'm not saying what I think. I'm telling you what God is telling you. This world has millions of opinions. You don't need another opinion. You don't need my opinion. All you need to know is what God is telling you. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> so Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Now, let me tell you a little something about Corinth. Corinth was a free city, if you know what I mean. There was immorality left and right. There was gays and straights. There was everything in between. All right? It was a crazy party city. 
And Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, this is what some of you guys were. Some of you guys were gay. Some of you guys cheated on your spouses. Some of you guys were out-of-control party animals. Some of you guys were, were con artists. This is what some of you were, but look what happened. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Praise God. God treats everybody equally, but he doesn't treat your sin equally. What does he do? He comes in. If you let him, he'll come and yank that sin right out of your life, and you'll be washed. You'll be sanctified. You'll be justified. You will be a different person a much better version of yourself and much happier as well. But we'll get to that in just a second. Here's the other aspect to this. Yes, he treats us differently, but he treats our sin and righteousness differently. But he also has established natural consequences that is different with the sin that's involved. Natural consequences. Let me give you some example. If you steal a cookie... It's going to be different than if you steal from your employer. The consequences are night and day different. If you lie to your children as a parent about something, it's going to be different than if you're in a, in a, jury, if you're in a courtroom and you lie under oath. Different consequences. God set it up this way. If you're looking at pornography on your phone, you're going to have a different consequence than if you end up having sex with somebody who has AIDS. You see, the consequences are going to be different. God set it up that way. Let me tell you what, not all sin is created equal. Not all sin is created equal. Let me give an example. Some sin is addictive. Some sin isn't addictive. Some sin hurts other people. Some sin doesn't hurt anybody except for yourself. Some sin is intentional. You meant to do it, and some sin is accidental. You didn't even know it was wrong, and it was an accident, and you just accidentally messed up. Some sin is against God, and some sin is against your own body. And let me give you an example here in Corinthians again. The Apostle Paul says, flee sexual immorality. And I want to pause there for a second. You know... The sexual side of things is a big deal to God. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's important. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us as well. As your sexuality goes, so goes your life. And as your life goes, so goes your family, if you're lucky enough to have one. And if you, so your family goes, so goes society. We better watch and look into these issues because they're very important. But he says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why is that important to God? Well, we find out right here. It says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God as a Christian? You are not your own. So stop pretending to be. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Does that sound American? <laughs> it should, but it's not. That's not what Americans sound like anymore. 
Not at all. It's tragic. It's tragic to think of this family that I was reminded of. The dad started having an affair with a woman. He had two, two precious children, precious wife. Decided while he was in the midst of all of this to move out of town, away from the, the, the woman's support system. Got to where they were going and promptly divorced her, ruined her life, and ruined her kids' lives. Can we stop worrying so much about ourselves and start thinking about other people? <laughs> and not just your own, your own gratification. But listen to this. The quality Americans are looking for is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not legislated. It's not forced upon us. It's not a policy that's written you find the equality that you are looking for in Jesus Christ. You will not find it in this world. You're not going to find it in the workplace, no matter how good a work environment it is. You're not going to find it in our country. You only find it in Jesus. God brings you the comfort and the security of equality by finding Jesus and inviting him into your life and your heart. Here's the next thing that Americans want, wanted back then and want today. It's the rights. I want my rights. I demand my rights. Specifically in the Declaration of Independence of Life, of Liberty, of the Pursuit of Happiness. Human rights. All humans have rights. And they do. <laughs> they do. It's just not always the rights that you think they are. <laughs> Again, 1 Corinthians 6. Boy, you want to read 1 Corinthians 6. It gives you the whole shooting match here. But there in Corinth, listen to what the Corinthians said. They sound American. Listen to what they said. They said, I have the right to do anything. That's what the Corinthians said. Doesn't that sound American? I have the right to, I'm an American. I have the right to do anything. And I have the right to this. And I have the right to that. I have the rights. But then the apostle Paul, he says, that's what you say. But not everything is beneficial. All right, so go, let's go ahead with that argument. You have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. All right? You have, you know, and, and the Supreme Court has ruled what it has, but an American says, and I've, we've heard it on TV over and over again, they're demonstrating, they're protesting, I have the right to have an abortion. Is it beneficial, though? Is an abortion beneficial to you? Just weigh the consequences here the emotional scars that you're going to have the rest of your life that no woman on the face of the planet will deny. What about the physical consequences? What about the what-if scenarios that play out throughout your, your mind? Do you have that right? Is it beneficial to you? Weigh the consequences before you demand these rights that may not even be your rights after all. All right? It says... Here's the next thing the Corinthians say. I have the right to do anything. That sounds pretty American. I have the right to do anything. It's there in the word of God. Similar society. But then the apostle Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. So you drive right on into New Mexico, right on into Colorado to get your pot. It's free. It's, hey, it's your right there. You can do whatever you feel like. But are you going to be mastered by it? Are you going to become a pothead as a result? Are you going to be a non-contributing uh, member of our society because of that? You, before you claim your rights, ask yourself, am I going to be mastered by this? Is it going to take control of my life? Because I don't want 
anything controlling my life. So again, the right, the right to life, the right to pursuit of happiness. Well, here's a good rule of thumb that might help us all. Avoid things that suck the life out of you and take happiness out of you. Avoid those things. Avoid addictions, okay? So let's say legally you do have the right, but if it sucks the life out of you and makes you unhappy, then don't do it. Consider the consequences before you do things. If, if you have the right to have sex with whoever you want to, consider the fact that sexual obsessions will suck the life out of you and make you miserable. Hey, if you think, you know what? I, I'm just not happy as a man. So I'm going to do a gender exchange here. Is that going to make you happier? Is it? Is that going to make you happier? Is that going to suck the life out of you? Is it going to give you life? <laughs> Greedy ambitions, getting rid of an unwanted preg pregnancy, distracting entertainment. If it sucks the life out of you and makes you unhappy, stop doing it. <laughs> Don't be mastered by anything. Do only that which is beneficial to you in an eternal sense, not just a temporary sense. Jesus promises life to you. <laughs> he promises liberty to you, and he promises happiness or joy to you. Look at this in 1 John 1.12. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. If there's a right you have that can't be taken away from you, through Jesus, you have the right to be a child of God. That's the rights. Those are the rights that you have. And in John 10.10, 10, it says the, the thief, that's the enemy, that's Satan. He comes to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life. That you might be filled with satisfying life exciting life, happy life, and have it abundantly. Have it to the overflow. Have it to where it's just bubbling over and out of you. You say, Steve, I've never experienced that before. Give your life to Jesus, and you will experience abundant, eternal life. Americans want the right to life in pursuit of happiness. These can only be found in Jesus not in legislated rights. Here's a third thing that Americans were looking for back then and continue to look for, especially in this day and age, is safety. Last week, there was a young mom in a very nice neighborhood pushing in her stroller. She was in her early 20s, pushing in her safe neighborhood, the stroller. A man in black walked up to her and shot her dead right there in the New York, New York City area. Guys, we're not safe anywhere where we used to be safe before. And do you think things are getting worse or better? They're getting worse. What happened back in the 1990s, Columbine, Columbine High School, a shooting that, we, if any of you were alive at that time or old enough, you remember that shooting. Guess what? Columbine is happening every, happening every other week now. Mass shootings. This country, in my mind, is less safe 
than many other Western countries, Europe, you name it. It's less safe. There's certain countries that are advising their citizens not to come to the United States because it's so unsafe here and so volatile. You might argue it's the gun laws, but you know what? The gun laws have always been what they are. <laughs> it's the people in this country that have changed. It's the people in this country that have changed. So what on earth has gotten this country to be so unsafe? And I'm happy to tell you or sobered to tell you that it's all found in Romans 1. Romans 1 gives the pathway of the scenarios that gets us to where we're at today. And it started, in my mind, back in the 19, late 1960s, and I'll walk you through it. But let's look at Romans 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of people. The Bible doesn't say the wrath of God is being, is, is being revealed against people. It's being revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Because of Jesus, God is not mad at you. <laughs> Do you get that? Because of Jesus, all of God's wrath that I deserved was piled onto Jesus. And now all God is mad at is the godlessness and wickedness and evil of people. What kind of people? The people who suppress the truth of God. Fathers and mothers, how often do you have a devotion with your children? If you're not having a devotion, you're suppressing the truth. When was the last time you sat down and read the Bible with your children openly? Saying, look, this is what the Bible says. What do you think, Johnny? <laughs> what do you think, Sally? Is this just for little five-year-olds? No. Whoever's living in your house, talk about God. Talk about the truth of God. Otherwise, you're suppressing the truth. Get it out. So many parents say, you know what? I'm not going to tell my kid if they need to be a Christian or not Christian. It's their decision. You foolish parent. <laughs> you foolish parent. The Bible says raise up a child in the way that they should go, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Share. Share the truth. Don't suppress it. So that's what's happened. Uh, Back in the 50s, 40s, somewhere back there, people were suppressing the truth, not sharing it. And we got into the wonderful 60s, the wonderful 70s. And so in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks. There's a lot of people that knew about God back then. A lot of people went to church, but they didn't really glorify him. They didn't give him credit. They didn't thank him. And their thinking was made futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I'll tell you what, there's so many people, yeah, my parents went to church, but I don't, you know. I, I, my parents were Christians, but I'm not. And they're, they're, their thoughts become darkened, and they start seeing things in a very dark and dingy and depressing way because they don't know God. They haven't glorified him. So what happens then? Verse 24, it says, God gave them over to their sinful desires because a darkened mind, darkened heart starts doing whatever it feels like doing. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Well, that's a darkened heart. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. I don't care what the consequences. I don't care what people are doing. I have rights. So God gave them, said, all right, go for it. 
Here's your sinful desires, go. Their sinful heart specifically, interestingly, in sexual impurity. Isn't that interesting? That always seems the Bible comes back to major core root of the problem. And so what happened? They had sexual impurity. Well, the 70s, what happened? People started just going haywire. Free love, everywhere you want, whatever you want to, whenever you want. Went well into the 80s, even in the business world. People doing stuff in the office, going crazy. And then you get to the 90s, and things got a little kinkier after that. And bisexuality started getting in vogue. And that's not that bad, and that's cool. We can do that. And so in verse 26, it says, because of this, okay, you're going for your sinful desires. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even women exchanging natural sexual relationships with unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoning natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committing sinful acts with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 2000s, 2010s, you know, and now to where we're at today. And then what happens? So we're talking about safety here. Then in verse 28, it says, Therefore, or furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. What is a depraved mind? It's a base, animal-like mind, an unholy mind, and therefore call it a demonic mind that is willing to just go in. Somebody come from the Rio Grande Valley, come into our Walmart, kill 18 people. That's a depraved mind. That's a messed up mind. Someone who would walk up to a young mother and shoot her in broad daylight. That's a depraved mind. Do you see the cascade of events that's led us to where we're at today? Do you see it? Can we reverse it? With God's help, we can. It starts here. It starts with you. This small crowd right here can turn this country around. Your prayers can turn your family around. So this is a depraved mind. I'll just read a couple of things. They're filled with all kinds of wickedness and evil and depravity. What is it? Murder. Mass murder, strife, deceit, malice. Look at this. There's no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Somebody who shoots somebody else has no mercy. They have a depraved mind. Can that person be saved by the loving grace of Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But the deed is done, and this is what's led up to it. I'll never forget watching. um, I'm just frustrated by the idiotic things in our country. Here's, here's these, these two guys that have just done the Boston massacre or whatever it was at the marathon, the Boston Marathon several years ago. They're running down the street. The cops are following them. There's, there's a shootout in this neighborhood. And this guy is playing a video game, a shoot em up video game. And he thinks what he's hearing is the game when, in fact, outside his window is gunfire. That's how far we've lost reality. That's how messed up we are. Parents, discourage your kids from playing video games where people are just getting blown up. It's going to lead to the actual events of people shooting people. Don't you get it? Don't you see that? Come on. Come on. 
So Americans want safety. We must pay attention to God's truth if we want to live safe lives. Here's the fourth thing that we want. We want freedom. And this is real short. Look at this. Freedom. (laughs) When When the Declaration of Independence was written, it wasn't we want freedom to do whatever we feel like we want to do. No. We want freedom from oppressive government. Two very different things. I'm not free to, no, I'm free from. You get it? That has been completely mistaken in our country that it's freedom to do whatever you feel like. No, it's freedom from being oppressed, from dictatorship, from an oppressive government, free to be able to worship God, free to be able to get a good job and, and do well in life, free to, to, to have a good marriage and not be oppressed. That's what the freedom here that is described. And for that freedom came at a price, I already told you, up to 70,000 American lives were lost fighting for this freedom. Moms, dads, children. One, one, one thing I read said there wasn't a family in America who hadn't lost a relative In the Revolutionary War, everybody knew somebody. (laughs) Civil liberties is not about you doing whatever you feel like doing. Freedom is, God, give me a country that creates an environment where I can thrive and not oppress me. What What are some oppressive feelings that you and I might be able to relate to? Suicidal thoughts is oppressive. God wants to free you from suicidal thoughts. Dark depression, that's oppressive. God wants to free you from your dark depression. Endless loneliness, God wants to free you from a lonely existence. Crushing addiction, that's oppressive. God wants to free you from your crushing addiction. Emotional suffering, there's nothing worse. I think it's worse than physical suffering. Emotional suffering, those scars, those wounds that you have, God wants to set you free from that emotional suffering and certainly physical suffering as as well. Jesus sets us free. No matter who the president is, no matter if they're Republican, Democrat, in fact, Lay your partisan thoughts aside. You are citizens of heaven, much more than you're citizens of the United States. But look at this, Mark 5.34, just a few verses. Mark 5.34, Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Jesus in another, or excuse me, the God in another point, he set someone's tongue free who had been dumb. He wasn't able to talk. In Luke 4.18, uh, Jesus says that he had been given a spirit from the Lord to proclaim freedom for prisoners, to set the oppressed free. In John 8.36, if the Son, the Son of God, set you free, you are free indeed. John 8. 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God. Lord, our country is going in the opposite direction of where you're going. I mean, 180 degree disparity of direction, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would turn this country around. Turn this country around. Lord, these rights that we claim are ours are actually not, it's not true. They're not our rights. 
not our rights to do whatever we feel like doing. The Bible says that we belong to God. Christians and non-Christians alike, Lord, this earth belongs to God. The universe belongs to God. Each of us belongs to God. Lord, who are we to claim that we have the right to do whatever we feel like doing? Lord, we're, we're dealing with the consequences. We're reeling from the consequences of, of our decisions over the last several decades. Lord God, and I want to pray today for our country. I want us to pray to you, God, today for our country. Thank you.